Open your uh, copy of God's Word to 1 John chapter 4. Last time with you, we looked at verses 7 through 21, and I want to look at them again this morning. We didn't have, in my opinion, sufficient time. Not sure this is either, but uh, to handle these verses, there's, there's so much good here. I suppose instead of reading them right now, we'll read parts of them as we go, but... Um, <clears throat> You can see from verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And I spent time last time looking at where is love found? Where is the foundation of love? Where do you go and get love? Across the board, whether it's in church or in the world, so many people are confessing that I've been spending my time looking for love in all the wrong places. So where is love to be found? Where do you find it? Where is it grounded? Where can you go and always get it? And the answer was, as you read this text, that it's from God. Love is always found in the character of God and in the church of God. That's where it's at. If you're looking for it somewhere else, you've got an imitation. The world is always borrowing from God, from the church, some aspect of love. True love is always found in the character of God and in the church of God. It comes from Him. He has designed it. It's not something we create, work up. It comes from God. Now I want us to move forward just a little bit. Instead of just seeing where we find true love, what is it distinctively like? What are distinctive characteristics of this love? Sometimes we think this love is... It's just an entity in itself and you can possess it and you don't really know whether you have it or don't have it or what it's like. I want us to get beyond that and think about uh, characteristics of this love. Love is confusing. It just is. And it's interesting to me, of all the songs written in the world, I don't know, the majority of them are written about love. We're singing these love songs and we don't even know what we're singing about. One time I was in church sitting where I sit, and our covenant kids were singing, and they were singing this song called Go to the Ant. I don't know if you remember it from Proverbs 6, about the ant is a creature God's created. You can look at the ant, you can imitate the ant, and you'll be better off for your diligence and all of that. So they were singing this song called Go to the Ant, and there was this three-year-old down here on the front just singing her heart out. And I could tell because I was so close, she didn't know the words. Uh, but she was singing her heart out. The words were, go to the ant, God made her, now you imitate her, go to the ant. Those are the words. I asked her after the uh, service, I said, I just really appreciated you singing. You sang with all your heart. It really encouraged me, and I just want to encourage you. I said, but I was struggling with the words. Could you tell me what those words are right after God made her? And she says, oh yeah, God made her, you and the tater, go to the ant. <clears throat> you can sing about it and not even have a clue what you are singing about. And it's the same with love. I remember when I was in college, uh, started dating my wonderful wife, and I had some buddies saying, hey David, what kind of love you got, man? And I'm thinking, what kind of love do I have? You know, I, that's a deep question. And I was struggling with it. And then they helped me out. I said, you got eros? You got phileo? 
or you got agape. Now, I happened to be taking Greek at the time. So I understood those were Greek terms. I understood what they were. Eros is the word from which, Greek word from which we get the word erotic. So they're asking me, you just got some eroticism going on there? Are you just attracted, infatuated? Phileo. Uh, if you've ever been to Philadelphia, the sign reads, Philadelphia from Phileo, the home of brotherly love. So the Greek word phileo, talking about brotherly, human-to-human contact love. Do you have that kind of love? Or agape love, which is the word agapao, the verb for divine love. Do you have that kind of love? And I thought, man... I hate giving up certain things from this one, this one, to have this one, give up this one for that one. Is that really where we should be going? And so I started a study. And I started studying, and I got, went back to my Greek Bible, and I looked up um, agape, and I looked up phileo, and I looked up eros, and I couldn't find eros. And so I studied more and more. Maybe I'm missing something. It's a Greek word. Why is it in the Greek Bible? And that was back before you could Google. So Siri, I'm sure, already knew, or Alexa already knew, but I I didn't know. And so I'm going, doing research, cannot find eros. I finally went to my Greek professor. It's kind of intimidating. You know, those people know so much. Knocked on the door and said, look, I know this isn't part of any assignment. I'm just kind of digging into the Bible, trying to find out this thing about love. And my buddies were asking me if I had eros. And I said, I can't find eros, so I don't know if I've got it or not. Because I haven't found a biblical definition for it yet. And he said, well, it's not in the Bible. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not the only one who thinks so. The Greek professor says it's not there. I said, well, where did it come from? If If it's not from God, is it really love? He said, you're going to find eros by going to the library and look it up under Plato. You know, he was a Greek philosopher, and he talked about three kinds of love. And so sure enough, I go to the library, I get books from Plato down and look for in the context or the index and say, does he talk about love? And sure enough, he talks about eros, phileo, and agape. It comes from Plato. Does it come from God? And then I thought, okay, well, if eros is not a a kind of love that God's bringing to us to really dig into, how about the others, phileo and agape? And it's interesting, as I was reading New Testament, studying Greek, look at John 5, verse 20. It stuck out to me one day as I was in the Greek, and you won't see it in English, but I want you to see the context because... Um, you'll understand it immediately. John chapter 5, verse 20. Here's, here, let me set it up for you. If God the Father loves God the Son, God the Father is divine, right? We agree. God the Son is fully divine. We agree. So if God the Father loves God the Son, if divine loves divine, it must be divine love, right? Here it is. John 5, verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. God the Father loves 
God the Son just opens up everything to him. This is a big statement. Guess what the Greek word is? Phileo. What? God the Father, Phileos, God the Son? That doesn't fit Plato. Exactly. Throw Plato out. Okay? It fits the Bible. And there's a reason it's there. But it's still divine love. It didn't cease to be divine love because he used a different word. The same is true for us. The whole realm of erotic behavior. If I have sex with my wife, that's the erotic behavior. It is divine sex. It's divine love. Because God created it. It's from Him. He designed it. It's from Him. And we've let the world try to borrow parts of our theology and obscure it. If you have sex with somebody else's wife, outside of marriage, it's infatuation. It's adultery. It's fornication. It is not divine love. It is a selfish abuse of your abilities. You could call it erotic, yes, but it's not divine love. And so many people today, they say in the church today, it's, it's rampant in our dating world that pe- believers think, I've got to have sex before marriage so that I can see if we have love. Or if we're compatible. That's not love. That's a human invention that is taking you away from love. Love is from God and it's through the church Christ. It's according to God's word. We've got to get back to divine love, to understand it, to embrace it, and to enjoy the richness of it. So I've given you four characteristics. Distinctly Christian love, number one, if it's from God, it's controlled by His Spirit. Number two, it's compelled beyond selfishness. Three, it's constrained by the Savior. And number four, it is ceaseless in whatever. Whatever your surroundings, no matter how bad uh, they become. Let's look at uh, characteristics that God gives us in the Scriptures here in 1 John 4. Um, of divine love. That, that's the love we have in Christ. That's the love we want to cultivate. That's the love we want to share with one another. Um, controlled by the Spirit. First John 4, let me read verses 12 and 13. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. He said, this is one of the things you know. That you've got divine love, that you love one another because He's given you His Spirit. Meaning, His Spirit's controlling you. You're not having an out of body experience, it's an in-body experience. The Spirit is within us, controlling us to love distinctively different than we've ever loved. This is divine phileo, erotic love from God that God's given us is controlled by His Spirit. 
Uh, it's, it's what happens when we're born again, when we're changed. Look at Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. Ezekiel 36, one of my favorite go-to passages because it's, it's introducing the new covenant which we have in the New Testament and characteristics of this new covenant. And God says this, Ezekiel 26, excuse me, 36, verse 26. He says, and I will give you a new heart. So you're born again. You've got a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you. Circle that. Make that as strong as you want. He's going to force you, compel you, constrain you. He's going to cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You know you've got the love of God when it's controlled by the Spirit of God in you so that you walk in a manner consistent with the rules of God, the statutes of God, the commandments of God. You don't go outside of marriage to have sex. You stay within the commands. Don't commit adultery, the seventh command. You know it. You stay within it. You know you're controlled within it, and you have divine love. When you're outside of this, you're not controlled by the Spirit. Divine love is distinct. It's always controlled by the Spirit of God. You must trust Christ. You must have Christ in your life to have this love. It's a love that's only in the family of God. Um, it removes suspicion from the truth of God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is why I never have to convince Christians that the word of God's true. You have to talk to non-Christians about it, but never Christians. And the reason for that is because we have the spirit within us controlling us, convincing us that God's commandments are true. He can't cause us to keep the commandments if he doesn't convince us they're true. They're valuable. They're important. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, beginning verse 12. He says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. See, I don't ever have to convince anybody. The Spirit's already in you if you're a believer. Convincing you. The Spirit's talking to the Spirit. Spirit of God talking to the Spirit. He's put in you that the commandments are true and we need to be controlled to keep them. Verse 14, the natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit for they are folly to him and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? We have the mind of Christ. And we have all of that through the Spirit being controlled within us. What does the non-Christian do to uh, say love better? Let's say the non-Christian is struggling with pornography. What do they do? So, you know, I, I'm having a hard time loving my wife, my girlfriend, my husband, because of this addiction. What do they do? 
Well, they said, well, you, you've got to change your computer habits. You've got to change your TV habits. You, you've got to put it, you've got to put controls on it. You've got to lock it down. You've got to put it in a, a, a common area to, to cut this off. What are they trying to do? They're trying to change their surroundings. I'll have better love if I could just get into a better environment and change the surroundings. Christian love's nothing wrong with doing any of that, but Christian love doesn't depend on that. Christian love says, no, I want to be controlled by the Spirit. I want the Spirit to convict me of sin. I want the Spirit to change my heart and remove the desire for sin. And that's what the Spirit does. And you ask of the Spirit, control me. Take away this love of sinning. Take away this desire to look outside of this relationship you've given, precious relationship you've given me called marriage. And as the Spirit controls you, you begin to hate what God hates and love what God loves. And He causes you to walk in His commandments. It's a love controlled by the Spirit of God. So much more powerful. So much more glorious that it doesn't matter your surroundings. It doesn't matter what you just stepped into, where you just walked, where you live. You can be controlled by the Spirit wherever you end up, wherever you are. Now, let's just work that out practically. Let's say for the high schoolers here, going off to college and all of that. Let me set it up for you. Let's, let's say there's a girl who's been dating a guy. And let's make the girl the Christian, okay? So we're going to call her Christy. And the guy is the non-Christian. We're going to call him Pagan. And Christy's been dating Pagan. And Christy comes home. She's been dating him three years. She comes home and she says to Dad, Dad, I just want you to know before we go off to college and all that, um, Pagan wants to talk to you. And I'm pretty sure he's going to talk to you about marriage, and I just, I just want to give you the heads up. And Dad says, okay, thanks for letting me know that. He says, you know that's not going to happen, right? We as a family know 2 Corinthians 6.14, which says, Believers do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So a believer is not to pursue marriage with an unbeliever. They are unequally, they would be unequally bound to one another. They would be unequally yoked. <clears throat> so that's not supposed to happen. And about that time, mom steps up and mom says, Hey, dad, hold on here. You know, Pagan is a really nice guy. I mean, he's tall, he's handsome, he's fit, he's got a scholarship to Clemson University, he's going into the engineering program, he's going to come out and he's going to make it big and he's going to be wealthy and he's going to be able to provide for Christy and all the kids. And dad's thinking, what planet did you just fall from? I thought... We were understood on this. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 didn't change. Believers don't be unequally yoked 
with unbelievers. Do you not see how bad that's going to go? Right now, pagan is a really nice, sweet humanitarian. And he does things for Christy. And he gives things to Christy. And he is respectful of Christy. And Christy says, yeah, and he never even pushes the sexual boundaries. He's really respectful of me. And Dad says, I get that. But is he controlled by the Spirit of God? What happens when he quits feeling good? See, your goal and his goal in life are opposed to one another. You're not supposed to be bound with that opposition. You want, what is your goal in life? She says, to glorify God. Yes. What is pagan's goal in life? His pleasure. Your pleasure. Man's pleasure. Woman's pleasure. To feel good, to have things, to have a great life. Do you not see those will oppose each other? There will come a time when you will want to go and worship God. And he'll say, I don't feel like it this morning. His God and your God aren't the same. There'll be a time when you'll say, I think we need to give more than a tithe. We need to give offerings to the Lord. He said, no, I think we need to save that for a boat or something I want. And you, you run into opposition and the opposition just continues to grow and grow and grow because you don't have the same God. You don't worship the same things. You're controlled by the Spirit of God. He's controlled by His own desires, His own flesh, His own imaginations, His own passions for pleasure. You're controlled by the pleasure of God. He's controlled by the pleasure of man. And they should not be wed together. We have a distinctly Christian love. It is controlled by the Spirit of God. That makes it different than just some nice, sweet, erotic emotion or brotherly emotion or even seemingly heavenly emotion. To use the three kinds of Plato's love. We have a love that's controlled by God's spirit. Second, we have a love that is compelled beyond selfishness. Let's look at verses 19 through uh, 21. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love you, love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Here we have a command saying our, our description of this love, verse 19, that it comes to us first from God. Again, love is from God. We love because he loves us. He gives us this love to love one another. It is a love that's compelled beyond self. Non-Christian loves themselves. We love each other, others first. We love God first. We love others first. We love ourselves always second. It's compelled or 
beyond selfishness. You remember the, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Love does not seek its own. It doesn't seek itself. It's compelled beyond self to love others first, to love God first, to get outside of ourselves, to get out of this feel good. I need, I, I need to feel good. The object of love is not us. It's not about you. It's not about you feeling good. I need you to love me whether you feel good or not. I need to love you whether I feel good or not. I need to love you whether it makes me happy or not. Whether it makes you happy or not. Distinctly Christian love loves others, loves God whether we have good feelings or not. It's not about ourself. It's a love controlled by the Spirit, directed towards people besides ourselves. John chapter 13, um, this very famous passage about the description of the church. This is one of the reasons love is found in God and in His church. It's because He gives us His divine love, and, and we're known for it. Look again, and just um, notice the context of John 13. You know, where I want to take you is to uh, verse 34 and 35. John 13, 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved, if you have love for one another. Now, what's the love there? He didn't say, a new commandment I give you, that you love yourself. And after you've, you know, gotten tired of loving yourself and run out of money loving yourself, I want you to love other people too. He doesn't even include ourselves in the picture. The command I give you is that, is that you love one another and you do it the way I have loved you. Did you see that phrase? As I have loved you, that's the new part. They'd never seen the captain of their faith. They had never seen the Lord of creation love. This is new. He said, I want you to love others, one another, as I have loved you. And that's why I want you to see the whole context. John 13, where does it begin? It begins with Jesus washing his, the disciples' feet. He said, I have given you an example. We came in after walking all day. We are tired, all of us. We're hoping somebody has fixed some food. And because some of us are barefooted or have sandals on, we don't have socks. But the way the dust is, I mean, we've got dirt up to our knees. We're dirty. You ever sit down to eat and you're sitting on the floor, so you're down here right by the dirt. And you just feel, I wish I could wash something so I'd feel clean before I stick this bread in my mouth. And you're looking for that. He says, but none of us would get up from our tired condition and love the other. He says, I got up, took off my dirty garments. I poured water. I got a clean towel. And I washed your feet. 
I'm willing to lay down my life to serve you, to cleanse you, to make you feel better, to make you grow in service and love. He said, I want you to be known for that kind of love. That's the kind of love that is to be in the church. When it comes to the end of the day and you're tired, you still sacrifice your feelings. You don't feel like it, but you do it. You still are compelled to give to others with your last breath. You will see me on the cross. You will see my last breath continuing to love you as I have loved you. Love one another. And by this, they will know you are mine. But you have this characteristic that I have. This sacrificial love that keeps on loving and loving. It's beyond ourselves kind of love. Compelled beyond all selfishness. Um, how much have you recently spent on love? Look at your bank account. I'm not saying love is can be measured by dollars and cents, but what I'm trying to get you to see is love's costly. Is it costing you anything? If it's not costing you anything, it might not be distinctly Christian love. It costs. It's a sacrifice involved. It costs time, it costs energy, and it costs dollars to love others. And that's never con truly convenient. That's the kind of love that's compelled beyond myself and what I want. Love is always edifying. It's always building up, regardless of the cost, others. Well, let's move on. Constrained by the Savior. Verse 9. Constrained by the Savior. Verse 9 throws out a word. I've, I've read it already, but let's read it again. And this is the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only uh, son into the world so that we might live through him. Um, we live through Christ. It's not only controlled by the Spirit, compelled beyond ourselves, but then it's through Christ that we have distinctly Christian love. Um, a love that's constrained, controlled through Christ. Show it to you another place. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's all that I've been talking about, all summed up in those two verses. He says, you were to be so united to Christ that when he died, you died in him. You live in his death. You rise in his resurrection. You're controlled by Him. You go through Him. Everything runs through Him as far as you're concerned. This is true with our love. 
It's beyond us. It's through Christ that we love. Now, you've heard it say, said, uh, never to say to your spouse that you love them because you have to. Why do you love me? I have to. I'm obligated. I'm a Christian. I'm commanded to. I'm not saying that. There's a sense which that's true. But that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I love you not only because I have to, but because this is, this is how I love. This is who I am. I am one who is in Christ, and I go through Christ. You see, my love would be weak if it was any other way because I'm a disabled person. I'm a weak person. I, I, I don't have it all together. How can I love you without Christ? But through Christ, I have all the strength I need. I have the power to rise from the dead through Christ. I can love you through bad circumstances, bad surroundings, bad days. I can continue to love because my love is controlled by the Spirit. It's beyond me. It's through Christ. And this through Christ relationship changes everything. Um, have you ever uh, tried to get a disabled man to walk out of a wheelchair. Now the way you do that, first of all, you get the wheelchair, if he's in it, you're going to have to move him, move the chair with him, right? But you move it, and then you lock down the back wheel, you lock down the wheels. Because you don't want to be pulling him up, and it, it goes that way. So you lock down the back, so it, it can't go backwards. You put it in a doorway or beside a wall and something so that when he comes up like this, he can't fall back. He's locked. He's in his chair. You don't want him to fall to the right, so you have a wall. You don't want him to fall to the left. You have another wall. You want him to come to you. So now that you've constrained him to the right, to the left, to the back, you reach out and you pull him to you. And that's what Christ does for me. Because I'm weak and so easily will fall right, fall left, fall back. He, he takes care of that. Then he constrains me. And he pulls me to himself. He says, I not only want you to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Come through me. Behind me is your spouse and your family, and your church, and as you walk through me, you love. It's a love that's controlled by Christ himself. That's, are we obligated to do it that way? Yes, but that's not why we do it that way. We do it that way because Christ has drawn us to himself and enabled us with his power and his strength to love through him to others. I had a mother that passed away a number of years ago. My dad's still living in a wheelchair. And mom caught Louie body 
dementia. The last six months of her life, she had to go to a nursing home. And those six months, if she wanted to eat, you had to feed her. If she wanted to go to the bathroom, somebody had to take her. If she wanted to dress, somebody had to dress her. She wanted a hug, but she couldn't give one. She wanted a kiss, but she couldn't give one. How do you love somebody that's that disabled? Do you get tired? And say, I'm tired, I can't do it. Thankfully, mom had a Christian husband and family that was willing to feed and bathe and dress and hug and kiss her. Controlled by the Spirit. Compelled beyond self. Constrained to go through Christ. Go to nursing homes. See how many lonely people are there that don't have this love. And how many times have I reached up to heaven and begged for a hug or a kiss to find God come down through his church and give me all I need. That's the love we have in Christ. It's distinctly different than what the world has to offer. See the richness of it, the beauty, the last thing, ceaseless in bad surroundings. Verses 15 uh, through 21. I'm not going to go through um, all of those verses again, perhaps. Uh, let's see. Um, verse 16. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. I just want you to see God has a, an end goal. And the end goal is perfection. The love that he has for us will be perfected in us, which means it's not going to cease. It's not going to stop. It's not going to one day go away. In us, he is going to perfect his love. We love with confidence. Um, too many people are getting married today and their wedding vows are I promise to love you as long as our love shall last. Well, trust me, it's not going to last very long. So that's not a very good vow. God says, I want you to have a love that will be perfected. A perfect love. It's ceaseless. When you feel like all the loving feelings have gone, I will be working in and through you to perfect a love that never dies. And there are times when God will take us through trials to get us there. Uh, Philippians 4, verse 11. 
perhaps we don't think of this verse in this context. But let's get there. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Stop right there. How does he do that? He says, I don't want you to think about all the things I need. What I want you to think about is how I'm content, regardless of all the things I need. I'm content in bad circumstances. I don't have a love that's controlled by the circumstances. I have a love controlled by Christ, by God, by His Spirit, beyond myself. Um, Non-Christians are so much controlled by their circumstances. Christians don't quit. Our love is ceaseless. Christ-like love is there. Um, Regardless of our situations. Um, Pray for that. Perfected love. God, take me through the trials I need to go through to learn how to love and to love and to love. Because it's not about me. I don't need good circumstances. Loving is about giving to someone else. Through Christ. So that Christ's love comes through us to them. Define love. Polished humanity. That's how most people define it. The best of men, the best of women are good at love. And so we, we put on our definition of love some polished humanity. They're, they're thoughtful. They're sweet. They're kind. And, and as good as all that is, it's an imitation. In Christ, we have the real deal. Because we go to the source We drink from Christ where love is found. We go to his church where love comes, flows through. And we get our love there. It's controlled by the Spirit. It's compelled beyond selfishness. It's constrained by the Savior. And it's ceaseless in all situations, regardless of what they are. Jesus came to love. God so loved that we sang that song earlier. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, will live and will love. If you're not living, if you're not loving, if 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 if, if your love and life seems shallow and superficial and constantly missing the mark, Flee, run, quickly, come to Jesus. And know divine love that's brotherly and erotic and fills this place and his family. And the world knows us because of that kind of of love. Let your spouse know that love. You know that love. Turn from the imitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your truth that guides and directs 
May it convict us every time we search for love in a wrong place. Let us come back to our God, the giver of a perfect love. Let us receive your grace, your gift. Let us live your love for you and for others. And may the church again be known, be known by a love like Christ. Father, forgive us of our sins, cleanse us, wash us with your love. For those who need to experience the love of Christ, may they find it here this day. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.